Welcome to a special bonus episode of the KBB Review Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Managing Editor Andy Davis. In this bonus, we have another dip into our other show, the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast, where we've just put this episode up all about safe design. If you like the sound of it, we've got another 26 episodes for you to go and binge. All you need to do is search Kitchen and Bathroom Design in your podcast app or go to podcast.kbbreview.com and that link is in the episode description here. So over to the other me to introduce the show. This is the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast from Taylor's Media. Welcome to the Kitchen and Bathroom Design Podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Managing Editor Andy Davis. Now this season's turned into a slightly infrequent one in terms of episodes, so huge apologies for that. This pesky lockdown does get in the way of pretty much everything. However, to make up for it, we have a great discussion today on a fascinating topic. Do kitchen and bathroom designers sometimes play it too safe when it comes to the architecture of the space? Is putting a farmhouse-style kitchen in a quaint cottage, or indeed an ultra-contemporary kitchen in a brand new apartment, the path of least resistance? Is it a designer's job to challenge these kind of conventions and produce the project that will come up with something that, yes, meets the client's brief, but also surprises them? in the best possible way, with something unexpected. This all came out of a blog written by designer Keith Myers, and in it he challenges this idea of safe design. Put simply, he asks whether or not your kitchen should match your house. So I sat down with Keith to find out more about what he feels safe design is, and I roped in another great designer, Graham Robinson, from Halcyon Interiors based in Wigmore Street in London, to get his perspective too. And before I get letters, yes, the three of us were in the same room, but this was all recorded before the lockdown began, so we haven't been flouting any rules. So over to Keith to kick us off, and I'll see you on the other side. I'm Keith from the Myers Touch in Winchester. We're an interior design, interior architects practice that specialise in the premium kitchen sector. Graham from Housing, give us the, the quick guide yeah, to Graham from Housing Interiors. We've got a couple of showrooms, main one in Wigmore Street, German kitchens, quite contemporary. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so you're both very experienced kitchen designers, and this conversation has been prompted by a blog that you wrote, Keith, where it was, I thought it was such an interesting topic that it was worth getting you in and getting a, another designer in, getting their perspective on it. And effectively, you were talking about designers taking the safe option when it comes to the architecture of the building that they're putting the kitchen into. So you know, a country cottage, you should put a country cottage kitchen in. That's the safest possible option. But you're, you were basically hypothesising that while you need to be sympathetic to the surroundings, that's not the most challenging thing for the designer and that you should be looking to actually bring in classic elements, contemporary elements. So just talk us through what you're thinking with that. It's interesting because often when, when a client walks in the door, they have a predisposed set of ideas they've already gone through in their mind and they've made really a considerable number of decisions already of what they should have. And they're not necessarily considering the options that are available or what can be done. And my philosophy, if that's the right word, is that a designer always has to take a client to somewhere where they couldn't have gone on their own. So the first thing to really test with a client is this whole thought process they've had before they walked in the door to retest that. Actually, some clients don't want to do that. So if that's the case, then that's fine. You know, you run with what they're saying. But I suppose when we come down to your client avatar the ones that we like are the ones that actually do want to test that and do want to consider the building and the space as a whole the architecture has a huge influence on how the kitchen ultimately looks and feels if the architecture of the building is wrong or the space is planned wrong it can completely affect the outcome of the kitchen 
So therefore, in this place where you are testing the architecture, there is this kind of default position that you say, you know, a classic building needs a classic kitchen, a farmhouse needs a farmhouse kitchen, and so on and so forth. A contemporary building needs a contemporary, which I kind of tend to probably agree with. But there is this thing of where you can play with the architecture to a point where it's supportive and not conflicting with the kitchen and the marriage between the two which is where really really good design comes into its own it probably sorts out the men from the boys in some sense with the user design you could call that fusion design that's a a word that's been kind of thrown away when you're blending new and old together that's kind of one space and that but you can actually put a strongly classical kitchen into a contemporary environment if you do it well and if you do it right and vice versa is this chiming with you, Graham? The easiest, safest option is just to put in exactly what people would expect to be there. I think you've got to question the customer, as Keith was saying, but we mainly do contemporary kitchens. We don't do many cottage kitchens because we're in London, so we do a lot of Victorian Edwardian buildings. But we would say put a contemporary kitchen blended with the architecture that's um, period. But you definitely have got to question customers on what they think they might want. So give us an example of this here, Keith. So, so uh, uh, the most extreme example here, of course, is if you've got a farmhouse <laughs> where, and, you know, and you've got your classic farmhouse kitchen in there. So let's take that as an, as an extreme example. You know, I've walked into your showroom and I've said, loving what you've got in here, but I live in a 15th century cottage. What can you do for me? Well, where would you even start with that? I think it's, I mean, I make a number of assumptions about the client mm-hmm. because if the client is open to anything, then... Actually, you can do anything because all that the architecture is is a backdrop to the room. So then it's working with the backdrop to create that space. I don't know if you remember um, TV presenter, George Clark does the kind of smallest house in the world, that sort of thing. When he very first started on TV, what he would do is he would go into somebody's house and he'd look at it and it's a complete hovel. It's all Mm. crammed full of stuff and it's just an awful space. And what he'd do is completely clear all the furniture out and then he'd paint everything white. Now, the purpose of that is fundamentally to bring the architecture right back to its basic components. Now, obviously, white is the most reflective space, a very white room here, and therefore gives the greatest sense of space that you have. And their initial thing when they walked in back into the house would always be, oh, my word, I didn't realise we had so much space. Mm. And, and therefore, the, the fundamental starting point is the use of space and how that works with the architecture is fundamental. Before you even consider designing the kitchen from a product point of view, if you take a, a low beam cottage with you know lovely beams and, and walls and that, from, from that starting point, you can kind of go wherever you want to as long as you design well and you're sympathetic to the architecture. And so you can very easily, and, and just, I, I love doing this sort of stuff, where you do place a, a lovely, very strong, very contemporary kitchen, very, very minimalistic into that environment, and you have the simplicity running through the whole room, and therefore you trade off this balance of the new and old and that tension that exists in the design. And the design tension is what creates an element of depth of feeling and um, the space. Otherwise, you walk into a space and it's a nice kitchen, but it's kind of lost something. There's kind of something missing. And therefore, playing with the whole space, playing with the use of materials. It's why, really, although we do, do, you know, we do, do kitchens, that's how we make our, make our living, we're really an interiors company because the interiors are so important to to get that space so and the other side of it is i mean i've just done a project in ascot which was actually putting a more classic kitchen into a a classic building but we we edged it towards a slightly contemporary finish to it and blended part flat door 
together with Park Shaker Door. And, and that was really fun to do. And actually, we redesigned the architecture of the building, what the architect has specified, redesigned all the ceiling profiles, all the covens, did build-out walls, and really allowed the, the kitchen to seamlessly slip into the architecture. So is this really about not having contrast for contrast's sake, but striking a kind of sweet spot where, that, where the two things are balanced against each other? <laughs> we, we all know the days of bright red kitchens. Mm. Uh, and there's this kind of there is an element of design which is it's this the use of the word the wow factor is is this kind of in your face design I mean, kind of where it's historically I would say probably come from but actually wow factor design is actually really hard to do to do it well because just what you just described there is is doing that plonking a red mm. a red kitchen or some outrageous multicolored rainbow style backsplash or something around the whole kitchen or something just to kind of and actually, it, it doesn't actually, for me, create beauty. What it does, it creates almost like an offence. There, there's this kind of offence that takes place. And the thing we always have to be careful of is that we're always designing for the client and not for ourselves. So if, if a client doesn't find that offensive, then it's their home, it's their house. And I always have the rule that the client's paying the money. Ultimately, they can have whatever they want. If they're making a mistake, I'll tell them. Um, I'll explain to them why I think they're making a mistake, but it's their money, it's their home. It's, if they want to live in that, that's absolutely up to them. And I have put in things, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, why are we doing this? But this is what the client wants. So I think getting that, that balance there is that when you walk into a kitchen that is a wow factor, it somehow touches you quite deeply. There's something about the space which is very powerful and there is a very emotive feeling that takes place in that room. And that emotive feeling is incredibly personal to an individual. Well, look, Graham, I know you've specified an awful lot of rainbow splashbacks in your time. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. You deal where you are. You are dealing with your central London stuff. You know, there's an awful lot of Edwardian, uh, Victorian homes, and they have, by their nature, a lot of features. They were very feature-driven things, weren't they? The fireplaces, the cornices, the ceiling rows, all this kind of stuff. You do German contemporary kitchens. Yeah. So this kind of uh, wow, sweet spot element that Keith's talking about here, how, when you go into one of those spaces, how do you strike that sweet spot? So you're not, when, if someone walks into that room, they're not just thinking you've plunked a German kitchen into a Victorian house. You've got to get the balance so that the customer feels comfortable. And it's all very well having a wow. I, I've been asked for wow kitchens, and I said, I don't really do wow kitchens. We can do a kitchen that's really, really nice that you're going to think is lovely in many, many years to come. But if they're blended nicely with the room, I think they work. So I would encourage people to keep the light cornice or picture rails or the shutters on the windows, the ceiling rows, but then maybe hang a modern light fitting from the traditional ceiling rows. But it is about what the customer wants. So some customers you can push more to get that look and some you can't. But it's getting the, getting the balance right and it, it feels right. And I think sometimes you can have a wow with something that isn't bright. It's just wow because of its simplicity. But how easy is it to push customers to think a little bit differently about things? If you went back, I don't know, 30 years, 20 years, and this is the reason why original features are so valuable now, is because everyone ripped them out. Yeah. You know, and you would have beautiful homes where they've ripped the fireplace out or boarded it over because they wanted everything to look incredibly modern. Whereas now we've reached a point where that balance between original features and modern installations is the thing. And the key point here, I suppose, is, is about striking the balance be- between those two things. 
I've encouraged people that we did one recently and they were going to throw all their old furniture away because they were redoing the whole house. It was in Chiswick. And in the end, when I went round there, he said we didn't actually throw that sideboard away. We've had it restored and it looked amazing in like a really modern kitchen. So they did that and it felt right. It felt, I think if you put a too modern kitchen into a period property, it can appear soulless. You've got to add like another layer of accessories and personalised things back on top of the kitchen to make it feel comfortable. That's the sweet spot for the designer, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, a kitchen is a series of boxes with doors on it. Yeah. But it's that extra layer on the top that makes the difference. And the, pa- and the paint colour that, that they've used on the wall or the tile they've used on the floor or what they've done with the windows, if you get involved with all of those things, the kitchen is a part of it and it's important, the practical element's important, but it's the finishing off that we sometimes get involved with often because that's the make or break for it looking good or not good. Is the key word here, Keith, character? Is this about keeping a character of something? Character, that's an interesting word, isn't it? We're doing a stately home at the moment in Hampshire and it's it's grade one listed and it's a four metre high ceiling and it had a 1970s contemporary kitchen in the in the space with a, an actual office style suspended ceiling wow. running through, which in the 70s was yeah. absolutely in. Mm. And it's been really interesting because we stripped it right back to bare bones. And we have, it was a four metre high ceiling, so it's a heck of a lot of height. And we've, uh, we're actually in the process at the moment of doing it. We're restoring all the corners. We, when we took the suspended ceiling out, there's a saw pipe running through. So the room in itself has a character to it. And if you do it wrong, it loses its heart. Yeah. It loses its heart, loses its character. And, and, and therefore, you have to consider that whole space and get it and get it right. I think the reason why I'm talking about character is, is the reverse true? That if you get an incredibly contemporary apartment, that they don't, those places tend not to be very characterful for obvious reasons. So, is part of this concept here about introducing character to places where there isn't any? I think you can make it quite f- false, though. If you try and add character to something, can be a bit room set. But like people that try and do industrial, it can look like a an All Saints shop fit rather than a bit of a warehouse. Mm. So I think you've just. I think it's hard to add character. I think you've got to retain character, which is why people go for warehouses and, and things mm. because they obviously have character about them. But if you throw up a new set of apartments down overlooking the Thames or wherever it is, they tend to go straight up glass, chrome full-length windows, and when you stand in the middle of them, when they're an empty space, a bit like the, the exact reverse of your stately home, they just feel incredibly dull. Soulless. Yeah, and soulless. So much of what we're talking about here is about feeling, about how people, people feel. People buy that. Like, we've, we're talking about someone that's doing a, an apartment on the river, and they're not really, the kitchen they want is a blank canvas behind them so that when they're cooking, they're facing out to the river because they've bought it for the views of the river. Yeah. That's, that's what they see as their character. So the character's in the view. Yeah. yeah. So it's what's outside mm. and what's inside. Mm. So the other thing is, use of character, because you define character as being slightly more older-style buildings, but there is character in contemporary mm. architecture. There can be, yeah. A really good contemporary architect will put character in it, but the thing is, it's very simple. And what's really interesting about contemporary design, it looks oh, just like a square, a couple of square boxes put on top of each other yeah. with a few bits of wood. And But actually, we, we run a lecture series in the studio and um, we had um, an architect down that we do a lot of work. We're up for Grand Designs House of the Year with this architect a uh, year before last. And you see the complexity of the design. It's incredibly complicated underneath the surface in contemporary design. Everything has to be aligned, perfectly matched, all the gaps, right, the shadow gaps, the the connection to the outdoors, the flow of the building. It's a very, very complicated form of design, although it looks incredibly simple. 
and therefore you have to flow with the character of the building. So we, we do a lot of work with this architect because he's a collaborative architect. He works with the landscape gardener to make sure it connects in through the house into the kitchen, into the bathroom designer. He, he just works the whole space together. So when you actually start to create characterful spaces, they do have meetings. Now, you're talking about development. Mm. Now, development is a completely different ballgame from a, a client experience. Developers actually really are, are only interested mainly on the cheapest price. Uh, they may stage a home, and that's probably where you're going to start to get a little bit of interest. But some of the kitchens that are being installed in development are very poor quality, very poorly installed, and they really are. Well, they're designed nice. in a very safe way, which is exactly the. the, the point che- I think it's more in a cheap. It's a cheap way. Mm. It's getting the most visually for their money, and they're not that interested in feeling as long as the feeling's enough to get the person to buy the property. Mm. So th- there's something in that which I think will. It's not here today. Will come. And that is, I think, the environmental considerations of that choice and decision. Because how many, how many people have we gone into apartments, have had a house for two years, the kitchen, I hate the kitchen, absolutely hated it from day one, and I need to change it, and it just gets in, goes in the bin. The development industry won't do anything unless it's, unless it's legislated. But somehow we have to measure the, the carbon factor of a, yeah. of a house that goes over a number of years. And if you're throwing the kitchen away, that's a, a heck of a lot of cost and carbon issues mm. related, I think that will become quite a serious issue in the future. You raise a very good point there about working with the architects. If you were doing Anne Hathaway's cottage or something, you clearly have no influence over how that building was made. Mm. And you are going in there creating a new space within an existing environment. But if we're talking about creating character and impact and challenging designs, how often, Graham, do you work with an architect right before they've even drawn up their plans? Or how often are you coming in at the end and trying to fit it in around what their idea is? I'd say half and half. Right. But if you work with the architects in the right way, then I don't see it as a battle with an architect. Some people do. But I think work with them and then you're more likely to tweak something or move a wall slightly or change a detail slightly to make a kitchen fit. Or if the kitchen's flexible enough, make the kitchen... It's, it's a collaboration. And I think if you work with people, you get the best results. And if you both have a sort of complementary view of what you want to create as well, I suppose, as opposed to a contrasting one. Yes. Because that's when you end up having a fight. And The contrast will come between the client and the architect. Yeah. Often they turn yeah. up in your doorstep and say, I know the architect's designed this, but... And you go, oh, no, okay, right. And then you have to try and work out. And actually, we have to have one foot in each camp. It's like a little marriage negotiation mm. between the two of them. Mm. Because um, the, um, the architect won't send you clients if you mess up their design. And the client won't buy from you if you don't give them what they want. So we have this little tension to play of delivering both of those outcomes. And that actually is quite good fun to do that. Not always possible, <laughs> but um, mostly it is. And it's, and it's getting, sometimes a client might not question an architect, but if you say to them, when they say, oh, the architect thinks I should have this, and you say, well, what do you want? And they say, well, I'm not sure, or, or I want this, or I want that. And they say, well, then you go and speak to your architect and say you don't actually want this. You, you're counselling your end client through the process of, using an architect. Why would they not have that conversation directly? I don't know. Sometimes they're not confident enough maybe to question an architect. Mm. Because so much, again, so much of what we're talking about here is personal feeling and the emotion emotion of this space that you're going to live in. And if you feel that somebody else is taking it over of of how you feel about it, but what you can't do, I guess, is articulate that in a... 
an architectural way. You just know it makes you feel a certain way. A lot of these conversations when I have them with designers, I, we always end up talking about the, the emotions of the client because there's two parts of a designer's job. There's two completely separate things. One is the physical design skill, sitting at a computer, sitting at a board, drawing it out. And the other one is, as you say, you're acting like a kind of counsellor. It's about drawing out of a client the skill, the, the almost psychological skills of drawing out of them exactly what they want and how they feel about things because they can't articulate it in a technical way. And when we look at this kind of stuff... If you've bought a 16th century farmhouse, which is the extreme example we're looking at here, how they arti- how would they articulate exactly what that space is, apart from taking the safest possible option? So if you, if you um, slightly controversial statement, is that if you look at architect- architecture as a profession, it's a, a design profession. If you look at interior design as a profession, mm. it's a design profession. If you look at kitchen as a profession, it's a sales profession. Mm. And that is one of the challenges I think our industry has. And it's always going to be at one level a sales profession. Hey-ho. So people like, like mm. Graham, myself, and there's other, you know, some very, very good designers that exist. Uh, so there is some exceptional designers, but, but they are few and far between. Most clients don't experience a good design encounter with a, with a kitchen designer or kitchen planner, as I call them. Mm. Um, and therefore, their expectation is very, very low. They kind of think they have to do all the work and they come in and they're predisposed and they don't think any better. They're not challenged on anything. They're not stretched. And I think that is something that, as an industry, I, I think it is being worked on, but it's, it's not going to be ever going to be 100%. Mm. It wouldn't be great if it was 50% of designers actually were really good designers um, it would really change and lift up the whole industry. Coming back to your point about why architects don't really design kitchens, I mean, and that is it's another broad brush comment because there is some that do, and there is some that aren't, just aren't interested at all in, in that space. We've got some architects who will actually detail the kitchen for us. They don't really get paid for it, but they are controlling. They want to control the outcome, and that tends to be on... The architects we're working that are looking for design awards. They want to know what it's looked like and they want to have control of the interior. But most architects are really only looking at the outside view in and a little bit of basic space planning. They haven't really considered how it's going to go. They haven't really considered at that point the question, the questioning that we would... I mean, if I do a design consultation with a client, it's three hours. Well, if a client had to spend... Architects spend three hours with a client on their kitchen space... Mm. And then their bathroom, and then their study, and then their, and they've got three or four bathrooms, and I mean they'll just be there forever. They just don't have that money, time, or resource to be able to do that. What I suppose what our objective is is to be a resource within their team. So if they have a structural engineering problem they have to solve, they might better work out the basic aspect of a structural engineering thing. But ultimately, they'll put a structural engineer in to do that detailing, and that's really what we're about. That's what we should be. Is they might lay out a rough kitchen space where they think it's going to be in the house. But hopefully they come to us before planning and then we have some influence on what happens in the space. just want to finish up here on how much of a part budget plays in this. Challenging designs or putting in interesting stuff, it sounds like it should be or could be the most expensive option. You do have to work within a budget because those budgets can be pushed. If the client's happy and confident with you, you can push a budget. So it shouldn't be the main deciding factor. And unfortunately, if someone hasn't got the money, then you have to tailor the design to the money. And I think if the, if the budgets are really low, then I think you have to be more clever than if the budget's higher. But is the lower the budget the safer the design? I suppose that's no, what I'm asking. I don't think so. What do you think, Keith? It doesn't have to be. No. I, I think fundamentally, good design should be completely independent of budget in an ideal world. If we could start in that place, it doesn't matter what your budget is. 
Well, that, as we know, that's not completely true. But there, there is a thing, it's a bit of philosophy around design now, isn't it, really? But I think you, you touched on earlier that we're moving into a feeling conversation because actually design is a feeling, not a look. And you can look at something, and obviously that, that visual appearance is important, but actually ultimately it's the feeling it gives you at the end. And that feeling of design has to work at all levels of the market. So if you go back to a lot of the work now that's being done in architecture and, and house planning, it, it kind of what we would traditionally called council estates or mm. low-cost housing, obviously they're hugely budgeted, budget-constrained, but working out how they can create design spaces that feel good for people and for communities. So there's a whole dimension to design which we we don't really really consider all the time in what we can actually do. I mean, ultimately, you said earlier, kitchens are boxes, which is a bit brutal, but I can kind of go with you on that. But you can pay £50 for a box, £500 for a box, or £5,000 for a box if you wanted to. It consumes the same physical space. And the budget all comes down to an individual's capability to spend money or desire to spend money. And Graham's point is absolutely right. You can increase someone's budget. People say to us, how much are your kitchens? And I say, well, how much is a car? Mm. Well, immediately they know with the car world, where they all sit. But in kitchens, they don't really know where they sit. So is 30,000 enough? Uh, should, should it be 50? How much do I, well, I can do a kitchen for 30 and I can do one for 50, but that's a very different outcome and the way that you do it. So it, it's a real challenging area. Clients will pay more if they perceive the value behind it. And value is very personal and very individual. So some people would pay £1,000 for a nice little cooker hot tap or something, mm-hmm. or a bit of advertising there. Or some people say, well, I'm not paying more than £50 for a tap. Why it just lets water out and things? Or someone would pay for an exceptional cola, little wingly-wangly kind of carbon fibre tap. It was about two and a half grand a few years ago. So, so it's very, very personal. And budget is about opening more choices without performing certain functions. Thank you both for your time. That's really, really interesting stuff. And this will come up again and again and again and again. I know, I know it will. So look, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Graham. Massive thanks to Keith Myers from the Myers Touch and Graham Robinson from Halcyon Interiors for a really interesting discussion. I'd love to hear what you think. Email me on andrewdavis at taylorsmedia.com and all the contact links are in the episode description. See you next time.